0: Isn't it great to see people following the Lord and believers' baptism, just great stuff. And I know there may be uh, some of you who realize that you need to take that step because that's for everyone. Once you've placed your faith in Christ, God is asking you, first thing, you know, to follow Him in obedience is to follow Him in believers' baptism. And we're going to have another one coming up in about a month. So if you fill out a card and and just check baptism, we'll contact you or do that online. Uh, We'll contact you and we would love to connect with you, talk talk more about it, answer any questions that you have. And um, it's a great day today. How many of you got a mailer this week? Like this? All right. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, we're glad that you did. We're… We're in a series called The Greatest Week in History, and this is going to take us right up through Easter. And uh, we were talking last week about this, the, the beginning of this week and the triumphal entry of Jesus. Remember how it was? He, he came riding in to Jerusalem on a Sunday, and uh, the people were shouting, Son of David, Son, son of the King, and and Hosanna! save now is what that meant. And blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all the people are shouting, Jesus is riding the colt of a donkey. And so it's just a different kind of an image. He comes through the eastern gate and the city is in an uproar. I mean, people are yelling, people are celebrating, people are asking what's going on. Jesus actually comes in, he views Uh, The Temple Mount, he actually leaves, it's late in the day, goes to the other side of the Mount of Olives, which is just outside the Eastern Gate, stays in Bethany. The next day, Monday, he comes in to Jerusalem. That's when he entered into the Temple, and what he saw on the Temple Mount, he was not appreciating. The Temple Mount in the first century is just the way it is today. It's the same size. It's that flat top. Right now there's a mosque in the middle of that that used to be where the temple sat, and Jesus comes up onto the Temple Mount. There's there's some acreage there, and it's a hustle and bustle of activity, but a lot of it was not honoring to God. There were money changers there, and there were animal sellers, and Although it was right for people to bring a sacrifice because God was teaching them through that, that, that our sin is serious and it requires uh, a sacrifice to atone for. And they, and they were bringing this sacrifice that would just uh, cover their sins temporarily. But what's happening in the temple grounds in the first century when Jesus arrives there is, is that the, the system is sort of taking advantage of the people, And Jesus doesn't like it. He overturns the tables of the animal sellers, the tables of the money changers, and he he causes a huge stir on the Temple Mount. And, And all this is happening, causes a lot of turmoil. Later, he is teaching in the Temple Mount, and that's when the religious leaders come to him, and they're sort of challenging him by what authority, and they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? They're saying, who gives you the right to upset our system? And then this is a little bit of a, a, a trick question because how Jesus answers is, is in this public question is going to depend on the reaction of the people. Uh, and so if he answers one way, if he says, you know, who gives you authority? And he just says, well, I do, just man's authority. Then they're going to say, well, we... We have a higher authority that said you shouldn't be doing this, authority from God. On the other hand, if God said, if Jesus said, God has given me this authority, basically that's a claim of being God, then all of a sudden he would be stoned for blasphemy on the spot, and that's a little sooner than Jesus planned on being killed. So what Jesus says when they ask, by what authority, is he turns it around and says, I'll answer that. If you answer a question from me. And then he said, The baptism of John the Baptist, which was going on up until about a year previous to this, the baptism of John the Baptist, was that from heaven, from God, meaning, or from men? And then, so Jesus asked them that question, and then they realize, they huddle together, and they realize, well, if we say uh, the baptism of John was God's idea, that he was doing what God Wants him to do, then that's going to mean that he's a true prophet of God, and then there, then Jesus is going to ask us, well, then why don't you believe him? Because John the Baptist said I was the Messiah. But if we say no, it's not from God what John the Baptist was doing. That's just a man thing. That was just him doing that on his own, and he wasn't representing God. Well, now we fear the people because all the people see John the Baptist as a prophet of God, so they can't answer, and so they don't. They don't answer. And then Jesus says, well, then neither will I answer your question, which was actually an answer to their question. But that happens. And then Jesus, then he asks them another question that they will answer, and he does it in the form of a parable. And we see that starting here in verse 28 of Matthew 21. So here's Jesus addressing them again And he's going to ask them another question, and they're going to answer this one. He says this. But what do you think? But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir but he didn't go which of the two sons did the will of his father and they said the first and Jesus said to them truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God before you okay so they hear this and this kind of turns them upside down a little bit this this is so remember it's an antagonistic kind of back and forth They ask Jesus a question, it's sort of a double bind question. Jesus then asks them, says, Well, if you answer this, I'll answer you. They don't. Same kind of a question. And then Jesus says, Well, what do you think about this? Hey, there's these two sons. A farmer has two sons. He goes to the first son and he says, Hey, go work in the vineyard today. And the guy, and the son says, No, I I'm not gonna do it. But then later he feels bad about saying no to his dad, and so he goes and works. And then the father comes to the second son and says, hey, go work in the vineyard. And the second son says, okay, sure, dad, I'll do it. But he never goes. Who did the will? And then they answer. Well, the first son, the guy who originally said no, ended up doing it. Then Jesus says something really curious. He says, tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom before you will. What's that all about? Jesus is telling them, you're the second son And these other people are the first son. He's saying, hey, John the Baptist, and he's going to get back to John the Baptist. That's how we know this. And he's already asked them one question about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching. He says, hey, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he saying? The Messiah is here. Get ready. Repent. Get your life right. The Messiah is here. And he's out in the wilderness He's kind of a different guy. He's wearing camel's hair and he's eating wild honey and locusts. And you know, he's just a different kind of a wild guy. But he's out there and he's preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is here. And so these people go out, and people from all different walks of life walks of life, even prostitutes and tax collectors who are considered traitors uh, by, by the Jewish people, even tax collectors. And prostitutes were hearing John's message of repenting of the way they live, repenting of their sin, and they believed John. And so they were baptized by John, and then they would leave with a repentant heart wanting to change their lives. In the meantime, the religious leaders, they're watching all this because they're interested in what John's up to, but they don't believe John. They don't think they need to repent like that. That's kind of what's happening here. And so Jesus connects this story to John the Baptist and, uh, and points out that people far from God believed John and repented, but not everybody did. And it continues in verse 32, "'For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. You, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward as so to believe him.'" He's pointing out after you saw all these people go to John and then repent of their lives and come back into society and try to be better people because they repented they they didn't want to keep doing what they were doing the wrong things prostitution tax collecting whatever it was that they come back and 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 you leaders you saw all that you saw people's lives being changed and people turning to God and you still didn't believe John. That's what Jesus is confronting them with. And even though they saw that, they didn't believe and repent themselves. And so this is kind of the setup. And now Jesus tells them another story, another parable. And a parable is just a short, uh, sort of simple story that teaches a deeper spiritual truth. And this is the one I want to unpack a little bit more today. And basically, I just want us to see the story. They're reaction to the story and the point of the whole story then and now. So here, here's the story. It starts in the next verse, verse 33. He says this, "'Listen to another parable. "'There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it "'and dug a wine press in it and built a tower "'and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey.'" And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. All right, so this is very familiar to everybody. This happens all the time in ancient Israel. So they're all going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, got it, got it, got it. Yep, but then there's kind of a twist. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. And so they're going, Whoa, 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 what's going on here? And then there's another twist. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. And you can imagine all the people are going, No, don't do it. No, these guys are bad news. Don't send your son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So, and this is shocking because this happens every day. The, the whole vine grower thing, this is normal stuff. But here these tenants are re- reacting in an unheard of way. This is all kind of setting this up. And, and the people get, hey, the owner of the vineyard, that's God. They understand that. The, 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 the vineyard is sort of Israel or God's promise. And the workers in the vineyard are the people who reject the son and then the messengers, they understand, are, are God's messengers in, in all throughout. And then the Son, of course, is Jesus. So they're, they're kind of putting this all together. And amazingly, what's going on is Jesus is illustrating exactly. He's telling these leaders a story that is telling them exactly. He knows exactly what they're doing at that moment in history, in that greatest week in history. The leaders were rejecting the Son just like these vine growers were doing. Jesus here, during the week, a few days before his death, he is foretelling his own death. He is predicting his own death. And now Jesus had, had been doing this for about six months. Jesus has been telling his followers, hey, I'm going to be killed by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And as followers, the disciples they had a tough time with that. At first they're like, no way, that's not going to happen. And then they were not getting it. They didn't really understand. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's going to reign. That doesn't make sense. So they're struggling with it. And right now, he, so he's already told his disciples, here Jesus is telling the rulers themselves that they're going to kill him through this story. And they're warned about rejecting Jesus. And so, notice the reaction of the story. So, then Jesus tells this story. It's kind of shocking to them. And then he asks the listeners, what should happen to the tenants? What should happen to these tenant farmers? That's the reaction. The leaders are thinking, you know, who do that? That's wrong. That's crazy. That doesn't happen. And Jesus continues in the next verse, verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers What will he do? What will the owner do? And of course they're saying, bad news. And then notice the people, basically, they respond to Jesus with self-condemning words. Listen to what they say. They said to him, verse 41. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. You know, they're saying, hey, this is totally wrong. The the owner's going to come and he's going to give justice. He's going to deliver justice and it's going to be harsh. These people are going to be destroyed because that's what they deserve. Because they've killed the servants and killed the son. And so that's the right thing. They deserve to be destroyed. That's their reaction. But now I want, to see, want, want us to see the point of the whole story. You see, as they react that way, the owner's going to come. He's going to wipe these people out. And then he's going to rent out his vineyard to somebody who's going to do it right, give him a share of the crop. It's his field. And then as they respond and say, yeah, he's, what, will the vine, what will the owner do? He's going to wipe them out. They start, it slowly dawns on them, oh, We're the guys. We're who Jesus is talking about. We're we're the ones answering that we're going to get justice. And it's not going to be pretty. And that brings us to the point. The whole point of the story is Jesus is telling them. And they're getting it. All through the history of the Jewish people. For thousands of years, God has called his people to follow him, but the people keep straying, they keep wandering, they keep kind of going off the reservation, and so God would send a messenger, repeatedly send messengers, prophets, sometimes priests, people to rise up, sometimes judges, people to rise up and say, no, this is the way to follow God, We've got it wrong. We're heading for judgment. We need to turn back to God. And that just kept happening over and over and over. And a lot of times, Israel would just totally reject these prophets. I mean, think about it. In the Old Testament, Amos ran for his life. Jeremiah was put into a pit and then stoned to death. Ezekiel was murdered. Isaiah was sawn in two. You know, Zach Zechariah, he, he ran to the temple thinking nobody would do anything to him there, and then he was stoned in the temple. And so on and on it went. And then the last messenger, the very last prophet, is John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. And now he's been killed by Herod about a year before this. And so he's kind of tying it all together. This is what's happening. This is what you're doing to the messengers. And now it's God's son. This week, at this point in history, it's God's son. And you're about to kill him. He continues in verse 32, Jesus said to them, and now he kind of shifts a little bit. He says, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes, which is a messianic prophecy quote from Psalm 118. Verse 43 continues. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. He's sort of back to the vine growers now. It will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. That's what you said would happen. Jesus said, yeah, that's going to happen. Verse 44 And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. So they're getting it. They know the cornerstone. That's another messianic prophecy. That's talking about the kingdom's going to be built on this cornerstone. That's the that's way you built something great as you started with this cornerstone that would align everything, everything would tie in and rest on that. But it would be rejected. And so that's what's happening. And they get it. They know Jesus is talking about them. And, so, and the people, by the way, that are listening to all this, they know they're involved in this too. They're not off scot-free. And then all of a sudden the leaders decide, hey, we need to silence Jesus. He's talking against us. We need to arrest him. We need to get rid of him. But they can't, verse 46. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So it's public This is all happening while Jesus is teaching in the temple. There's hundreds of people packed in all around to see the exchange, and they want to get rid of Jesus, but they're afraid to do it because not only do the people think that John the Baptist was a prophet from God, they even asked John, Are you the Messiah? And John said, No, I'm not the Messiah, but he's coming. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. He's here. And now the people are looking at Jesus. Some think he's the Messiah. Just about everybody thinks he's a prophet of God. And so the people, the leaders realize we can't arrest him right now. It'll cause a riot. So they don't. That's how it's going. And Jesus is warning. He's warning the, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish nation that their opportunity to accept the Messiah is slipping through their fingers every day right there in real time. He's warning them, you're rejecting the sun. You're rejecting the cornerstone. You're rejecting the Messiah over and over. That was the whole point. But there's a point for us today. For believers, it's this. If we have trusted in the Messiah, if we put our trust in Christ, understanding that we're all flawed sinners... That we cannot approach a holy and righteous God in our sin, that we need something like a sacrifice that was just temporary. We need something to be able to to connect with God to cover our sins or take them away, and that Christ gave us that in allowing Himself to be killed as the ultimate Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. But what He's challenging believers with is where's your fruit? Actually, as you talk about this, you know, he's saying, hey, these vine growers are going to be wiped out and the other vine growers will come in. This is actually Jesus prophesying that the focus is going to go off Israel and it's going to come on to the Gentile church. That's most of us are non-Jewish people. That's what a Gentile is. It'll be non-Jewish people that God will use temporarily, and then it'll be back to the Jewish people In that 70th week, but I want to get into that, that last seven years. But anyway, right now, for 2,000 years, it's all back to the other vine growers, that's Christians today, temporarily. And that's what he's telling them. But the point for us is, if we're believers, is where's our fruit? Are we following God? Or are we just living our own way, you know, doing what we would normally do without any regard for God? But mainly, This is addressed to unbelievers. See, Jesus is telling us we must repent. We must repent. But a lot of people today are just like the farmers were in the story, the tenant farmers. You know, their their attitude was hey, I don't owe you anything, God, the landowner represents God. I don't owe you anything. This is my life. My money, my time, it's all mine, and I don't want an owner, and I'll do my own thing, and there's nothing you can do about it. But actually, our life is not our own because we all have a, a creator who made us and wants connection with us. And the amazing thing as you read through this is how patient. God is for a thousand years God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to warn the people and and God is patient with you because God has sent you messengers after message after messenger after message after messenger for, for some of you, it might be that you're just here today going, wow, you know, didn't know I'd be hearing all this, or I, I didn't really think I'd be coming to church today, but here I am. You know, this is one more time God's giving you this message. For some of you, it might be, you, you, this might be the first time you've ever heard this message, or it might be the hundredth time you've ever heard this message that we need to repent and turn to God. For some of you, it might be the circumstances in life that you find yourself do you realize that God uses circumstances in your life, even bad, negative, painful circumstances in your life sometimes, to get you to notice Him, to see reality, to see that you're actually not in control of your life? You really don't own it, that there's a higher power. There's a God who created you and loves you. Look at Him. God is amazingly patient. But one day his patience will end. Scripture tells us that we only have this life to respond to God. And so here's what a lot of people think. You know, well, you know, if I turn to God, then I need to start living a certain way. But I don't know that I really want to live that way. I kind of like some of the things that I'm doing right now that I know God would frown on. So I'll come to God later. That's it. Terrible risk, and some people think, well, you know, hey, that that's that's just I'm not ready, or or I don't know enough, or you know, if God did a a miracle in front of me, maybe then I would get it, you know. And we're just coming up with excuses. Look at these stories that Jesus just told that we just read. You know, first you have people that are, you know, they're, they're like the second son. Hey, they, they say all the right things. Yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I do the church thing. Yeah, I believe. But their life, they really don't follow God in their life. They say, yes, I'll do it, but they don't do it. And it's not that living a good life earns us salvation. It doesn't. But living a life that follows God is just an evidence that we've placed our trust in Christ that we've received the gift that God is offering. And if we don't have that evidence, if we're the second son, we say all the right things, yes, I'll do it, I'll follow you, but we don't, then that's a red flag that maybe we don't really have that relationship that we should have with the Father. Some people are like the religious leaders and the Pharisees. People today are like this. And here's kind of what they're thinking. Yeah, some people that are really messed up, the murderers, the guy laying, you know, face down in the gutter after getting out of jail, you know, 20, 20 minutes before that, you know, and he's just wiped out. Yeah, that guy needs Jesus. But, but I'm a moral person. And so I, I, really, I really don't need Jesus, not like him. And, and so those other people need Jesus, but I don't really need to repent. That, that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were doing. Yeah, those prostitutes, those traitors, yeah, that repentance is good for them, but, but I'm moral. I'm a good person. I, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've talked to people about, about God, and a lot of times what I'll ask them is just a simple question. It's, do you think you're a good person? How, how do you think most people answer that? Almost everybody says, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm, you know, they don't want to sound arrogant, right? I think I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. And they say, well, how do you know? And I say, well, I, I, just, I just know. And I'll say, well, what if there was a standard of goodness that we could follow to judge? And I say, what do you mean? I go, well, there's a, actually a 3,000-year-old standard of goodness that we could test ourselves against. Can I share that with you? And they'll be like, "Yeah, fire away. I'm pretty good." I said, so, "Okay, it's called the Ten Commandments." Have you ever not put God first in your life? Well, you know, I don't, you know, God's on a whole different level. You know, I, I don't know. H- have you ever taken God's name in vain? Well, yeah, I've done that. All right. Have you ever, have you ever ever dishonored your parents? Well, yeah, I'm I'm sure I did that probably when I was a kid a few times. Yeah, maybe. All right. Uh, Have you ever ever killed anybody? No. No, I haven't killed anybody. Good. Most of the time they say that. You know, hey, well, that's great. You got one. Except for Jesus during his ministry told us that if we hate somebody in our heart, that that's the same sin as murder. It's just we don't have the guts to do it. Because if we could get rid of them, if we hate them, if we could get rid of them, we would get rid of them. We just don't have the guts. So we're guilty of that too. Have you ever had a sexual relationship before you were married? Yeah. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah, I've told a lie. Have you ever stolen anything? Yeah, I've stolen things. Okay, well, what do you think is going to happen when you stand before God? And they go, well, I still think I'm a pretty good person. Okay, but you just admitted to me that you are a lying, thieving, adulterer, blasphemer. And God is going to judge that. And then they start going, "Eh. but But compared to other people. Yeah, but God's not comparing you to other people. God's comparing you to God's standard, and that's why we're all in in trouble. That's what God was teaching the Jewish people with the sacrificial system, that sin is serious. It's more serious than we ever think it is because we keep comparing ourselves to other people. Well, you know, I'm not like as bad as Hitler. Hitler killed six million Jews. Right. You didn't kill six million people. I get that. But that doesn't make you good right? We've all sinned. We've all committed a sin against God. By, by the way, there's none of us here that's only committed one sin, right? We all get that, more than that, right? There's actually, we all have committed more than one category of sins, right? I mean, and we've, all, we've all sinned. We've probably all sinned this week, and it's only Sunday morning, I'm telling you, we sin, and God says it's serious. God says it's so serious that the right and just penalty from a righteous, perfect judge is that we be separated from God forever in a place called hell, because it's real. God says, that's what sin deserves, and that's what all of us deserve as sinners, But God still loves us, even with all our sin, even with all of our issues, even when we don't like to admit it. God still loves us. So he made a way by allowing Jesus to enter into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago after having lived a perfect life. And now he's in Jerusalem. And now he's ready to voluntarily allow himself to be tortured to death Even though he has no sin, he's never sinned, but he's the only one qualified to pay for our sin. And we can't pay for our sin on our own. We keep thinking, well, I sin, but then I could do good things, and the more good things I do, maybe that will outweigh my sin. The Bible, the entire Bible is telling us that is not true. We sin. The good things are just what we're supposed to do. We get a speeding ticket, right? We don't go to the judge and say, well, you know, like five days before I got that ticket, I was under the speed limit for five days, so you should credit that, and that should balance out. So five days against this one time, that wins, so I shouldn't get the ticket. I'm not guilty. Does that work? No. Why? Because the judge is a righteous judge. No. You sin. You're supposed to go under the speed limit. You don't get credit for that. We're supposed to do good things. We're supposed to live right. We're not supposed to commit any sins. When we're When we live good, we're just even. That's what God's telling us. He's teaching us that in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system, He's teaching us through the New Testament that Jesus is the perfect, once for all, infinite sacrifice who will cover our sins forever. But we have to come to God on God's terms, we have to humble ourselves. And that starts with us admitting that we've sinned. We can't be like the Pharisees and say, yeah, well, those guys need to repent, not me. I'm pretty good. We need to get rid of that and judge ourselves according to God's standard. And none of us measure up. And once we understand our sin, we need to understand that we have a righteous judge. And that the right penalty for my sin and your sin is an eternity separated from God in hell. That's the right thing. That's the just thing. Well, Kevin, that seems kind of harsh. God's loving, right? God's loving. Yeah, that's, God is love. But God is also righteous, holy, and just. And so tonight, if you're at home with your family, and some intruder comes in and slaughters your entire family except for you, and then a year later, you know, they catch the guy right away, but it takes a year for it to get to court. They build the case, and this guy's on trial for, you know, a triple murder or whatever, and you're there in the court because you're very interested and you're a witness, and so you're there. And then they go through all that, and he's guilty. But then the judge says this, you know what? Are you sorry that you did that? Yeah, I'm sorry, judge. All right. I'm going to let this one go. What, what do you say? Where, where's the justice? My family has been killed. You're going to let this guy go? You see, we scream for justice when we want justice. But we don't scream for justice for ourselves. We scream for mercy. Well, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, I overdid it that one time. You know, I sped that one time. Or I did, but, you know, everybody makes mistakes. You see... We want mercy. We want other people to pay justice. God says justice for everybody. And the only way that we can escape the justice that we rightfully owe, separation from God, is when we put our trust in Christ alone. Admit our sin. Understand who Jesus is, Son of God. That he came and voluntarily lay down his life as a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin. But for us to get that accounted for us, We have to place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. We have to know that it's not doing good things that helps us get us there. Because we have nothing to offer that takes away a sin. It's only Jesus. It's not coming to church. It's only Jesus. It's not getting baptized. It's only Jesus. That's it. Just Jesus. You have to know that to be a Christian. Here's what I want to do today. It's a little different, all right, if you bear with me. I want to put everybody here in a category. We all hate being put in categories, right? But this is a category that only you'll know, all right? So it's a category of your mind. Are you ready? Okay. It's four options. Spiritually, our relationship with God, there's only four options here that I'm going to give you, and everybody will fit. It's A, B, C, D, all right? I haven't done this for a few years. So A, B, C, D. Which one are you, A, B, C, or D? Here's A. A is when you walked in today, you had already trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. You already knew everything that I said, but you didn't just know it. You put it into practice in your life, and you, at some point that you can think of back in the past, you recognize you're a sinner, and you place your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. And you remember that. That's A. A already believe, already trusted Christ. B is, you know, I'm not sure I've ever done that, but I'm doing it now. I'm hearing this, I'm understanding it, maybe it's the hundredth time I've heard it, but now I'm taking action, I'm gonna put my trust in Christ. I'm believing today, that's B. And then C is, I'm not sure I'm there but I'm working on it, I'm C, I'm considering it. I'm considering, I realize I have this need, I realize that I might not be an A, but- and I'm thinking about being a B, but I'm not quite there, and so I'm C, I'm considering trusting in Christ. And then just for intellectual honesty, we'll throw out D, which just says, nope, don't, don't plan to trust in Christ. Heard all this before, I don't buy it, don't like it, don't want a God in my life don't want to trust in Jesus. A, B, C, or D. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like everyone to grab a card in the chair rack in front of you. Go ahead, grab it. Or you can do this on your phone, ohiograce.com card. And if you're, if you're watching on your phone, go to ohiograce.com card. And at the bo- at bottom, there'll be an A, B, C, or D. On these cards here, right here, on the blue side, down at the bottom is just an A, B, C, or D. I want you to, nobody else can see it if you don't want them to. I want you to mark, where are you this morning? Are you A, already believe? A B, not just believe, but put your trust in him. A B, hey, I'm getting that now. I don't wanna miss this opportunity. C, I'm thinking about it, I'm considering. Or D, not interested. Just check it. If you check B or C, If you put your name on the card and your address, we'll send you a packet of information that will help you. All right. If you check B, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and help you with that. If you check C, we'll we'll do the B's and the C's. We're going to send you some information. Or if you you want to be off the grid and you don't want us knowing your address, you know, or whatever the case, hey, you could just come up here on either side of the platform that there's kind of a Next to that offering bucket is where you can put your cards, by the way, or at the information table. But you can just pick up one of those packets. It's like a little white bag with our logo on it. That's the information that I want to give you. So you can either put your address down or just take one of those on the way out if you're super private. And same if you're watching YouTube with your family, grab your phone, slash cards, and then check the mark. If it's a C or D, I'm sorry, B or C, we'll send you something. But for you Bs, I want to just lead you in a prayer. Let's bow our heads. Please know that God knows your heart. And so if you trust in Christ, that's the moment of your salvation. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that expresses some things to God, but it's not saying certain words that saves you. It's putting your trust in Jesus that saves you these words are just a way of sort of communicating that decision to God. It's probably more helpful to you. So something like this, make this prayer your prayer. Don't have to say it out loud. God knows your every thought. Something like this, Father God in heaven, I admit that I have sinned against you. And I also know, I've learned that because of my sin, I deserve hell like everybody else. Separation from you forever, but God... I also know that you love me, even with all my issues and all my sin. You still love me. And so you made a way through your son, a costly way, that Jesus would come and have no sin of his own, but he died to pay the price for my sins. And God, I'm putting my trust only in Jesus, nothing else. Nothing else, just Jesus. And God, I'm asking that you would come into my life through your spirit and help me to live more consistently for you. Help me to to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Uh, Those cards, if you would drop them off, if you're a B or a C or even a D, you know, just drop those off. We'd love to know up here at the information table, room one, and if a B or C, we'll give you that packet. And now I'd like to pray just for all of us before we close in a song. Father God in heaven, we thank you for every person in this room, every person watching uh, through the internet. And God, uh, for those of us A's, we thank you for your grace because we don't deserve what you've done for us. And Father, for those who mark B and Lord, that they're trusting in you, we pray that they would feel your presence in their life. Father, those who mark C, we we pray for them, Lord, that that they would take action, that they're considering this. They would get the information they need. They would get answers to their questions. They would come to church or call in and make an appointment and figure it out. And, Father, we pray for the the Ds too. That's the way we all kind of start, separated from you. God, we pray that you would impact their lives, help them to see you. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thank you most of all for the greatest gift of Jesus on the cross who died for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.